Hello there, Alan. Hey there, Ray. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Um, welcome to our listeners to another episode of the Avoid Crisis podcast, episode 12, uh, Fish Years and the Acidification of the Ocean and Ocean Dead Zones. Um, I am out on site in San Francisco atop world-famous Lombard Street, and uh, we're doing the show from here today. And uh, any penguins out there, uh, Ray? Well, a lot of tourists, but penguins, here we go. Okay, uh, just for background, this uh, this video comes from uh, Cape Town, and this was uh, during the COVID crisis when everyone was inside, the penguins decided to look for additional food, started marching down the street, so I uh, just thought that'd be a great thing to... Uh, share with our listeners since uh you know last week we talked about the penguining of billionaires going down to washington we saw that even more as artificial intelligence was talked about uh, we wanted to talk today about artificial intelligence and fishers and how those can be uh, combined here to predict the uh, ocean dead zones so um are you familiar what a dead zone in the ocean is right a, a, a little bit um alan i know you've done some research you're going to educate us let me get my what I the little bit I know, and then you fill in the rest. Um, sure. Given things such as temperature and pH supports different type of life in the ocean, in the water. Um, so pH has to do with acidification, right? So, uh, and certain species will die, and others uh, will thrive in different temperatures and pH levels. Um, and we're seeing in the oceans a huge shift in what can live or not. During the transition, you'll end up with areas where nothing can live until a species can adapt or a new species can enter. So that's, that's yeah. my understanding. Yeah, so dead zones in the ocean exist, and they're in different places throughout the, the world. Um, and we've been able to kind of track them and kind of observe them. But uh, they're largely caused by a process that's known as uh, eutrophication, And basically what that is is that there's nutrient pollution in the water. And that can come from a lot of different things. Like think about agricultural runoff, sewage, uh, could be vehicular, industrial emissions. There could even be some natural factors that lead to this. But basically what happens is that when you have these excess nutrients it causes an overgrowth of algae that then dies and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. And then the decomposition of that organic matter by bacteria consumes oxygen. And that creates um, a hypoxic, and a hypoxic means a low oxygen condition. And then that leads to dead zones. And in the dead zones, basically, the aquatic organisms can't live there. There's not enough oxygen. Yeah. And so uh, how does that tie into uh, artificial intelligence and part of what we wanted to talk about today? Well, the thing is, is that um, the, the way that we're learning a lot more about dead zones and the way that we're kind of being able to see where they are is based on studies of the actual water, but also with... Uh, the ear stones of fish. Now, you know what a, a ear stone is? 
in a fish, it's a part of their hearing mechanism. So it's also known as an otolith. And so this is actually a, um, it's a part of the, of the structure of a, of a fish that allows them to actually hear. So most fish, you don't see any ears on the outside of them, right? And you don't see any openings. Um, you see the mouth opening, but you don't see an ear opening. But actually there is this way that they're able to um, understand movement, be able to hear noise, and um, it's different in different fish. So, for instance, uh, sharks and stingrays, they have hearing through what are the lateral lines. And so think of that as a really hypersensitive nerve lining that goes along the sides of their entire body. They're able to detect motion from that So that and, they're, and vibrations. And so they're able to kind of sense that way. But other fish have these ear stones, which are the otoliths, and what's interesting is that these otoliths are something that uh, has been collected for a long time. I think it might be helpful to kind of maybe get a graphic for those that are watching uh, this on the, the video instead of just hearing on the podcast of what an otolith looks like. So here we have, uh, you know, some uh, examples of what an otolith would look like. And uh, you can see that these have all kinds of different ranges in size. And I'm going to explain why that is. Uh, what ends up happening is these otoliths grow inside of the fish skull's head, basically, as it grows and as it changes its environment. Uh, these continue to grow. So it can be as small in a small fish. It might be only the size of, say, a grain of sand. But a much larger fish, these uh, otoliths get to the size of a fava bean. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever gone to uh, Etsy, but... If you were to go to Etsy and look for a jewelry, um, as an example, maybe we show a graphic of that. Uh, here's some examples, just to give you an idea of what the otolith earrings look like. And you might have seen these before and not realized that those are actually ear stones from fish. Wow. Cool. So, um, so to give you an idea of what happens, in the seawater itself, you'll have a lot of dissolved uh, minerals. And those minerals are going to be going through the fish's gills. And as it goes through the fish's gills, then it becomes a part of the bloodstream of that fish. And then what ends up happening is that these ear stones are actually calcified formations. And these calcified formations are um, made of calcium carbonate. And most of that is in a, a form called uh, aragonite. And that aragonite is, uh, it's the same kind of structure you're gonna see in like hard corals or clamshells. So this is something that's very common. Uh, it, you know, it's the same type of thing as far as its structure. It's very hard, very, very much something that could be shaped. But what happens is it grows as the fish is growing. And when I was talking about these different minerals that are um, dissolved in the seawater, as this otolith grows, it's really because of the um, the structure of the otolith itself. And, and when I'm talking about the structure, I'm talking about its actual physical characteristics. Um, that are, it are, is really, go ahead. 
are are these otoliths indicative of changes in their environment as as climate and environment changes do the otoliths change size and shape and how, how is that how's that related well th that's part of what i'm i'm trying to to get to because it's really it, it's a difficult thing to explain, maybe a little bit easier if, if I were a chemist to explain it. But what ends up happening is this aragonite crystal formation is, um, it has a lattice structure. And what this lattice structure allows is it allows those minerals that um, are present in that seawater to actually become traceable material within this um, chemical composition, it's it's almost like they're substituted as a part of the calcium. So it's really calcium that binds and forms the growth of this, but these trace elements can be trapped within the otolith. So in other words, if you were to get down to a really detailed chemical analysis, and, and remember what I'm saying about how this otolith gets larger over time. And it's very similar to, you know, you think about the way a tree grows and you see the rings in a tree. So just imagine that you see a very large tree. If it's cut down, you see all these rings and you see how old it is. Well, it's yep. the same type of thing with this, uh, the shape of the otolith. It, it changes over time. It's getting larger as the fish gets larger. And these trace elements of minerals are observable in the ear stone. Now, why is that important? Well, it's because of correlation that's come out of these studies. So they started to study these ear stones of the fish, the otoliths. And as it turns out, you know, these have been collected as specimens for a large number of years. We even have otoliths go all the way back into the Stone Age. And they started yeah. to do these studies on otoliths. And uh, one of the one of the most interesting scientific discoveries happened back in around, I want to say about 2009, when a scientist was looking at this um, and looking at the Baltic Sea and studying cod, the otoliths of cod, and started to make uh, this observation that there was a certain chemical element that was present in these um, otoliths, and he was seeing it in a much greater um, amount and that was the uh, trace elements of uh, manganese. And so the, the thing that's important about that is the manganese itself dissolves in the seawater when the oxygen levels become very low. So what was happening was they were seeing from the otoliths more and more of this manganese, which meant, meant that these fish had to have experienced some type of living conditions where there was a very low amount of oxygen. And so one of the areas, when we talk about dead zones, one of the areas of dead zones is in the Baltic Sea. So these cod otoliths um, patterns start to show elevated manganese in the, uh, the rings that were deposited during the summertime. And, and we were talking last week about uh, the rise in temperatures of the ocean. And, and just in general, in summer in these areas, you're going to have a warmer temperature because you have more sun, it's, the sun's closer, et cetera, right? You're going to have warmer temperature. So they were seeing evidence in the otoliths of this manganese, and that was demonstrating to them that these fish had been near um, a dead zone. Now, these dead zones that we're talking about, because it's nutrient pollution, where do you think we see a lot of dead zones 
um, in the ocean, um, take for example, in continental US? Uh, I would say closest to major ports. Uh, closest to major ports, closest to almost all of the um, bordering sea states. So everywhere from Texas through Florida, all the way up the East Coast, for a certain uh, distance out, you're going to see that. And it's also true that you see that in the most populated areas on the West Coast as well. So the thing is, is that these most populated areas are doing something in pollution that is impacting the, um, the ocean to create these low ocean environments. And we're able to track that by looking at the otoliths. So uh, I thought that you'd be finding that a little bit interesting because this, this studying of otoliths is something where we can get historical markers and we can actually use artificial intelligence to give us predictions of the ocean in history. Think about that. And if you were to do that, wouldn't you then be able to make a comparison of the oceans in the past, the oceans of where we are today, and factor that into um, some sort of a calculation of what the impact would be on food supply? You know, we were talking, right. I think, last week about saying, you know, how much is there, you know, in total food supply for the world coming from the ocean? And it's really, really large. Mm -hmm. You know, fish are a great source of protein, right? Yep. Yep. No, it, it, that, that, that's, there's a lot of changes coming up. We talk about, you know, avoid crisis. There are climate change is bringing an enormous amount of change to our planet. And as we said in the last episode, the size of the oceans, the size and depth, the, the surface area as well as the depth of the oceans has so much life and such an ecosystem that is getting thrown into an imbalance. Now, over time, it'll, it'll figure itself out. I mean, in the long run, Mother Nature is going to win. I mean, Earth wins, humans lose. That's how it's going to go. But... What happens to us in the meantime while we're going through these changes? And, and that's part of what we're exploring here is that um, there's impacts that we don't know. And I think it's super interesting that we're using otoliths and artificial intelligence to try to project out what's going to, where, where are we going to end up? Yeah. So as an example, in 2022, globally, the fisheries generated in U.S. dollar terms, $362 billion. Wow. Now, if you think about the impacts here, to explain a little bit about what happens from hypoxia environments, low oxygen. When we were talking last week, when we were explaining about how the high oxygen environments allow fish to grow. And so think about this as biomass and think about the size of fish. When the fish have less oxygen available to them they can't grow to the same size it basically you know the easiest way to say it is it's stunning their growth so if we're seeing more and more pollution in the ocean and if we're seeing more and more of this um, algae developing and dropping to the ocean bottom and that decomposition it's taking away oxygen again this might explain some of what we we're talking about even last week about how we were seeing these fish that were from very deep environments in the ocean rising up 
and uh, being found dead. Maybe they got uh, oxygen starved. Yeah, uh, they're they're being they're being, they're being displaced. They got it. They're going to try to survive. They're going to do different things to, in this, as a survival mechanism, and you know they're going to end up in places we haven't seen them before. Absolutely. Wow, this is super interesting. This, the, I guess these these fish otoliths are are the are the canary in the coal mine of the ocean, huh? You know, it is really interesting. Um, you know, because I think that if you think of just about the otolith chemistry um, and its relation to hypoxia, which is the low oxygen environment, you're really going to have a fish eyes view. And maybe we need to have a fish eyes view on our environment. Um, and it go. would help us. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that's interesting about this with the otoliths is it's almost like a black box, right? I mean, with a black yeah. box on a plane, you know where it's been. Right. And you, can, you have these trace elements. And so it really kind of opens up the uh, the observation of data to a much you know larger group by being able to analyze this to say okay what does it really mean i'm hearing yep. a bell behind you there is that the uh well here the, you go we'll, uh, get famous, some, we'll get some live oh uh, uh, look at that how about that it's great I can you guys the can I get there. that on camera okay yeah it looks great yeah you know ray i know that this is going to be a little bit short today because we uh want to make sure that people kind of understand all these different impacts to the environment and just how even with artificial intelligence we heard a lot of negative things this week even in congress about you know it's going to be displacing jobs potentially we don't know what its impacts are i've had a lot of conversations with people saying hey you know talk about uh, what you think is happening with artificial intelligence and how it impacts your job uh, there's a lot we don't know a lot to that remains to be uh, learned. But uh, I know that uh, this is a busy day for you. I know that you've got a lot of things happening, but I thought it'd be really good to kind of just talk a little bit about the Otolith today and artificial intelligence and uh, get your thoughts. You know, I, I, I find that Otolith uh, details, Alan, as, as always, in, in your knowledge of fish, to be super interesting. Um, and I'm going to be doing some more of my own research now that you've uh, piqued my interest. On the artificial intelligence side, look, I, it, 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 Pandora, the genie's out of the bottle, right? Pandora's box has been opened. It's, it's here. It's going to be here. And like any tool that mankind has ever made, it can be used for good or evil. And we're going to have some of both. So we got to figure out how to encourage more good use and less bad use um, but i think in the concept of climate change and some of the issues we have in front of us i'm really encouraged by the power of ai and its ability to assimilate data and 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 come up with correlations and answers that i think human just human raw human you know time brain power would, would take a lot longer to do and I, I, I'm a believer that um, technology is going to be one of our, it's one of the things that got us into this problem, but it's also going to be one of the things that helps get us through or out of this problem of climate change. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with artificial intelligence today was, what about customer service? Because it's been going on for some time here where I try to get customer service, all of a sudden I've got this uh, voice prompt and it's like hitting, you know, 
five if you want this, four if you want this, three. And then it's like, do you want to speak in Spanish? Do you, you know, like, I got to, like, put all this. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going to happen when artificial intelligence is answering the phone saying, uh, what would you like to do? And I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get some customer service. And then I end up repeating, <laughs> customer service, customer service. Because, you know, that, that might not work anymore. They'll probably talk back to me and say, Sorry, sir. If you keep saying customer service, we're going to hang up on you. Well, they just hang up. They don't tell you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think that the voice recognition is getting better, and I think the ability to have a, a two-way conversation with AI is is right here. I mean, there's some some tests and some info on it. It's not quite here yet for mainstream, but it's going to be within a year or so. But um, yeah, I, I look forward to to. Re- Digging in deeper into the AI angle, I, I like that we're we're jumping on the climate change part. We jump, we're getting into the ocean first. We're going to talk about other areas of climate change in future episodes, but I think this is going to be a, a transition then over into say the topic of AI, which may be like the next chapter of our uh, of our Avoid Crisis podcast. Okay, Ray. Well, you know, as always, thinking about these things. Um, making decisions and then acting it's always great to see you and thanks again for uh, being here today likewise great to see you alan we'll talk to you next time all right right. take care Bye. bye